This podcast is brought to you by Bodog.net. Don't miss a chance to play at Bodog.net. When the odds are stacked against you, post-game tastes that much sweeter. Bodog.net, your source of free casino games, poker strategies, and live sports odds. All right, welcome back to it. 11.01. We'll be listening intently. Well, you're always listening intently, but especially this hour, it's a code word hour. Listen carefully. Listen for the stinger. I'll come back with a code word. Hit our website, tsn1200.ca. You plug that in, and you're into the draw to win this week. Every day, somebody wins a Thomas Shabbat Sends Adidas Pro jersey. So good luck. Not now when you hear it, but sometime between now and noon, and we'll do it again between 1 and 2. Also, we still got to get to a couple of four-pack of tickets to see a 67s game and also to see a Senators game. Right now to the Gabriel Pizza Hotline, we welcome in our good friend Brad Fritch. It has been called golf's fifth major. And once upon a time, the Canadian Open used to be called that a long time ago. It's the Players' Championship, though, known as the fifth major. In Jacksonville, yes, the Island Green on 17 is a signature hole. It all gets underway tomorrow. We have six Canadians in the field, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the depth of field in general, which is always excellent. And also um, more tweaks from the PGA Tour in time for next season, um, reacting still to to Liv and what Liv has done uh, to talk all about it. It is Brad Fritch from beautiful Holly Springs. Hello, Fritchie. What's going on? Hey, can a kind of sort of employee win a Thomas Shabbat jersey? Is that, is that a thing? Mm. Uh, you know what? You are kind of arm's length, but I, I think you do work enough with us now, though. I think you're out. I'm sorry. No shabby for you. That's it. You're out. You're out. Um, all right. Where to begin here? Why don't we, um, let's start with the tournament itself. And I, I do want to get your thoughts on PGA tour and live and all that. And the second half of our interview, um, we've had this discussion many times when you got your card a number of years ago, there weren't many Canadians. Um, that had full-time PGA Tour cards. Um, fast forward now, uh, we've got six that have full-time cards, and the depth keeps getting better and better. So in any given week, like I'm a golf fan, as you know, and I always cheer for Canadians, uh, I don't care where the event is, and I'm kind of casually tuning in, there's a good chance somebody's going to be playing well enough that's going to pique my interest on a Sunday. So having said that, who do you like um, maybe to finish – high up the leaderboard on Sunday uh, from a Canadian perspective uh, this week. Yeah, not only are there – there's actually seven. Michael Gligic is not oh, in the field, but he's okay. uh, he's got a, he's got a card as well. But um, not only are they on the PGA Tour, they're card holders. They're very, very competitive. Like, I'm not shy in telling you that I was like a fringe player, right, back and forth and a couple top tens here and there, but not – you know, competitive at the top of the leaderboard, but every week we see, you know, a Canadian dipping his toe in the water of contending for the for a title, contending for a top five, top ten. So it's a lot different than it than it used to be from the Canadian standpoint. It's exciting. I I I don't blame you for you know watching and and seeing every week that that there's a Canadian up there and 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 putting his his kind of name in the hat for contending for the title. It's a good time for Canadian golf. Um, as far as who to contend this week? Um, I'll just go with the hot hand. I think Nick Taylor, the second place in Phoenix, I would think gives him a massive confidence boost. And for a guy who didn't play great last year, this is this will get him in a bunch of other events. He, I think he's in the top, he's either top 20 or top 30 right now in the FedEx Cup. Um, he's got such a great head start on the year. 
and his game is kind of very it's very well rounded. There's not one thing that he does particularly well uh, better than others. He's a great putter. I'll, I'll say that. But um, just just for Nick to finish second at Phoenix, you know, among that star-studded leaderboard, hanging with Scotty Scheffler right up until the end of the tournament, I think that that would give any player a massive shot of adrenaline and keep it going for at least a couple of weeks. So I'll take Nick to to play best this week. What's the uh, what's the relationship with all the guys like like are they tight? Are they um, because the reason I ask is because I don't know there's so many of them now that. Um, have the ability to to score well every week, and and it's huge from my perspective. I think I've already told you, Fritchie, that I like I, I'm a huge fan of golf. I love playing it. I love watching the majors, or if if there's an interesting storyline. But when there's a Canadian in contention, like I that that Super Bowl Sunday at the the Phoenix, I I watched every single hole. Um, it, it's very exciting. So I guess what I'm getting at is is what's it like around the guys? Is there a competitiveness to um, push Canadian golf uh, farther. Of course, you want to you want to beat everybody, but what's what's their relationship like in terms of where the the Canadian game's at now? Well, I imagine most of them are pretty tight. You know, Corey McKenzie and Taylor all went to Kent State, uh, different years, but some of them overlapped. Uh, Adam and Nick are from the same golf course in Abbotsford, BC. Uh, Adam Svensson is from BC as well. So there, and a couple of them share the same uh, swing coach as well. So there's definitely a camaraderie out there. Uh, I honestly, I kept to myself out there. I had a couple of buddies who I travel with, but it wasn't any of the Canadians, uh, but there weren't as many back then, but yeah, they're a pretty tight group and they're pretty competitive. And I know that one playing well spurs the other on, you know, some people might roll their eyes at added motivation for any athletes, but it's absolutely true either the snubs or the the perceived snubs, I guess, or the, you know, buddies playing well. Um, there's definitely an added kick in the kick in the pants for guys when, when their friends are playing well. It gives them, number one, confidence because they beat them plenty. And number two, it just gives them an, another added incentive to, you know, keep going and, and make a couple more birdies and see where you stand at the end of the day. And. Taylor Pendrith is going to be the first Canadian that's off the tee. He's off at uh, off on number 10 at 7-12 to morning, and I think you and I have had this conversation before. I can remember interviewing you mid-tournament. I think it was a Canadian Open at Royal Montreal, and you made, you offered it up. You Talking about this young guy, you, you said, like, you should see this kid drive the golf ball. Um, how, how long is Taylor Pendrith in relation to – because there's a lot of long hitters uh, on tour these days, but, you know – is he like right near the top upper echelon? Where would he rank? Oh yeah, like if he wanted to, it's kind of like Tony C. Now he just doesn't look like he's going at it very hard. He's got an extra thirty or forty in the tank whenever he wants it. Um, Taylor is yes at the very top end of, of driving the golf ball on the PGA Tour, one hundred percent. And it just depends on whether he 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 gives it a go or he's just kind of like, oh, I'll put this one in the fairway. He could two iron his way around sawgrass <laughs> if he wanted to. Like there's plenty of, well, like honestly, there's plenty of holes where you don't need driver and, and you'll see it uh, on a lot of, in a lot of the rounds where guys will be hitting three woods or hybrids or whatever, depending on conditions, of course. But if it's firm and fast, sawgrass isn't actually that long of a golf course and it does pinch at 310, 320 on a lot of holes. So, and Taylor or, yeah, Taylor is 
beyond that if he kind of gives driver a go. So I would be curious if, if he's playing well and they show him a lot, um, what clubs he's using off the tees. Because Sawgrass plays, I think, just over 7,200 yards, which by modern standards isn't really that long. Just taking that into consideration as well as some of the players that, that have been real hot lately uh, to start the year, do, do you have a, a favorite to, to do well? Well, the PGA Tour in 2023 has certainly given us a lot of uh, star-studded leaderboards, and the Players' Championship is pretty much synonymous with the best players in the world winning. Cameron Smith last year, Justin Thomas the year before, before COVID, Rory McIlroy won in 2019. So there is a, a long list of champs who are you know top five, top ten in the world. Uh, I thought it was interesting last week when after John Rahm's first round, 65 at Bay Hill, and he's been playing so, so well, and everyone just was kind of like, he can't, he, nothing he can do is wrong. He's playing so well. He's making golf look easy. And then all of a sudden, 76-76. Like, <laughs> athletics and golf in particular have a way of humbling someone, even if it's at the peak of of their ability, which John Rahm certainly is right now. Um I have to imagine he's a little bit disappointed with with his performance at Bay Hill, especially after that hot first round. So uh, he's a guy who uses emotion to kind of fuel him. So I would put him at the top of the list. Rory McIlroy, uh, for sure, is a favorite. Uh, Justin Thomas playing playing well. I mean, he's, you've seen his name bandied about the leaderboard. You know, he's, he's playing well lately. Um, I don't – honestly, I don't know the history of Scotty Scheffler at – TPC, but I have to imagine he's he's a favorite as well. But I'll just go easy pick John Rahm. I mean, hmm. sometimes that you know bad performance, and I'll put it in you know parentheses or air quotes because he played okay, but not up to his standard. Obviously, uh, Bay Hill was playing extremely difficult last week. Uh, eight under was the winning score. That's uh, <laughs> after seven under being the leading score after the first day. So obviously, very difficult week. Uh, but I'll take John Rahm, super easy, top player in the world, and and you know generally playing very well lately. Yeah, he's just been so consistent for such a long time. It's a that's a that's a good pick, easy pick to make, no question about it. Uh, Brad Fritch is joining us, talking about TPC Sawgrass Players Championship tomorrow. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the PGA Tour now. And Jay Monahan met the media yesterday, and um, more tweaks to the PGA Tour for next season. Um, they've already announced the the events that will have more purses uh, in them, and that's for this season. Now we're going to be dropping the cuts at some of these exclusive events, and there's going to be like $20 million purses for a certain amount of, uh, of tournaments as well. And that's got some mixed reviews so far. How do you feel about specifically, first off, you're going a bit live-like, and we're going to have some events kind of like some of the, you know, there are the, the, the world golf events when there's no cuts, but there's going to be multiple events in the PGA Tour next season, Brad, where there's going to be no cuts, and it's going to be smaller fields, and you're, you're trying to attract the best players. I get it from the marketing standpoint, but they're going to roll with that. Is that a yay or a nay from you? Uh, it's so hard to say, Steve, because this is all a reaction to live, right? This is, you know, an existential threat to the PGA tour of it being, you know, the, the top tour in the world. Uh, you know, they kind of gave it a go last year with business as usual. It went okay. 
But as in anything, you adapt or die, to use the the Moneyball quote. And I have to imagine this is top player driven. It's coming from the top players. And why would it come from the top players? Because they know they have the leverage, the infamous word leverage that Phil Mickelson used, you know, a couple years ago in that book excerpt that was released and got so much, uh, he got so much heat from it. Uh, they're exerting their influence because what's the other option? Well, they could always leave. And that's something that cannot happen from the standpoint of the PGA Tour. They can't lose any more top players. Um, you know, the, the recent batch who left, Danny Lee, Brendan Steele, good good players. Brendan has a couple wins on tour, three of them, I think. Uh, but they aren't the needle movers. And this is all about who moves the needle, who is who it, it would be a disaster for them if they left for live. That's, I think, the bottom line. Uh, so I'd imagine that this all came from the top, from Rory. I don't know if it came from Tiger because he doesn't play much anymore. Uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, guys like that. Um, it, it, it's just such an interesting conversation because at the beginning of every player meeting, whoever was at the podium, whether it was Tim Fincham or Jay Monahan, they'd repeat the PGA Tour mission statement. And the very first thing would be create playing opportunities for all of our members. Uh, does this do that? No, it doesn't. So... I see where a lot of the critics, especially some of the mid-tier players, have a problem with it. Um, but again, this is something that they had to respond to. Nothing, doing nothing wasn't an option. So I'm kind of in the, I hate to, to you know straddle the fence here, but I think it's kind of a wait and see, see how it goes. I think if anything, that the tour has shown that it will scrap things that don't work and try to improve things like, you know, they've done with the FedEx Cup. That thing has changed, you know, 10 times in 15 years since it's been in existence. So I I think they'll be adaptable. And I, I don't love that there's not going to be cuts at these events. I do like kind of the upward and downward mobility of being able to get into the events, especially, you know, the three weeks before the two big events, whoever is playing the best will get into those events. Now, it's a separate conversation. You're playing very well, but those will also be your fourth and fifth weeks in a row, which is tough. So it's a little bit of a, a catch-22 there. But uh, doing nothing wasn't an option. So I think this this has the potential to be to be a good thing. But, again, there's some give and take here. I don't love that you know, a lot of big events aren't going to have cuts. That's kind of the, a staple of pro golf. You don't play well, you go home. Um, and that's that's going away in these events. So uh, time will tell. But initially I was kind of like, well, I see the point on the left side and on the right side of the ledger, yeah, don't love, you know, the no-cut thing. Just kind of spitballing here, but just based on what you said, but like is there anything that, that the PGA Tour could do to accommodate those players that, that wouldn't be – the ones that you consider to be to be pushing the, the star players that have the better chance at making these monies and, and making this money and getting in, included in these tournaments because of their ranking is there is there something they could do for the the mid tier or average goal, the average players on on tour um, to help make them happy in terms of more money in in other tournaments with bigger fields or something like I I don't know what the answer would be but is there something that you think that they could do Yeah the thing is Graham the even the non-designated events are the, the purses are very lucrative. It's not like they're going down. So I don't. It, it's like that old. 
hate to bring politics into this, but they, they did an old study about 10 years ago, and it was about uh, income inequality. And yes, income inequality is a problem, but they, they kind of gave them two situations, you know, what it is right now, and what if the bottom tier made, you know, let's throw out a number, 200,000, but the upper tier made, you know, instead of 5 million, they made 10 million. And people still said it, that wasn't fair even though the standard of living would be greatly increased. The standard of living with the PGA Tour is amazing. It doesn't matter what kind of player you are. Um, they tried a little bit last year to do what you're talking about, Graham, which is uh, a kind of a base salary. I think it was a rookie player would get half a million dollars, and then you wouldn't actually get money from purses until you made that 500 grand on tour so it was kind of like a, a stipend i guess they called it an initial stipend for a rookie uh they started paying guys opposite field events i think they're giving them five thousand dollars for travel expenses little things those add up but again in my mind it's not that's not what pro golf is about like if i have a terrible year i had a terrible year in 2017 i made just over a hundred thousand dollars i think on the pga tour which is awful I didn't deserve any more. <laughs> I played 18 events and I averaged, what's that? Five or $6,000 an event. And the first event that I played, I think of the year I made about 28 or 30 grand. So the rest of the year was even worse. Like I, why do I deserve extra money? I don't. Um, so I don't get that part. Guys are making plenty of money out there. Sponsorships are still good. And, they have the opportunity to make tons of money. So I don't, I don't know the rank and file, those, those complaints kind of fall on my deaf ears. Uh, because again, there's still, it's like Rory said yesterday, you know what you can do? You can shoot the scores. And if you shoot the scores, you'll be able to get in any event you want. Yeah. We've had this discussion before and, so you say that's an awful year that you had in 2017. You only made a, a hundred thousand. Now that's, you know, the, to the average person when they hear that's like, well, that's pretty good. But also you're, you're traveling to and everything, the, all the money that goes into that. But you've also made the point, Brad, and you just briefly touched on it in your last answer. If you're on the PGA tour, the purse money is the big thing, obviously, but you're on the PGA tour, your sponsorship opportunities, uh, like everything, right? You're, you, you got a club deal, maybe you got a bag deal, you got a sponsorship on your hat, on, on your shirt, whatever. Um, and you've always maintained that that's part of it, right? Like that's you don't you don't necessarily need the official showing up handout from the tour because by being on the tour, you've got other companies that are going to kind of provide that extra income. That's kind of hidden because all we look at is all right, he finished thirty six, he makes this amount of money, but it's more than that if you're actually on the tour. Correct, absolutely, and and I was very fortunate to have a bunch of, of great sponsors before I got to the tour and after, um, and that's that's definitely a part of professional golf, especially at the highest level. Guys are are making plenty of good money. Um, you know, you got to try and find it sometimes as a as a lower tier player, but it's it's out there. You can find it, and it's just a matter of if you have someone working for you who who's doing the right things. I did, and and it all came together. For me, just fine. I think, I don't know, I, I've seen so many different comments over the last bunch of days from, 
you know, guys who are on the player board, guys who used to be on the player board, uh, some of them seem like they're auditioning for a live contract. Like it sounds like some guys <laughs> really want to move. Um, and, and that's fine if you want to go, but it, it's, it's just a, it's an odd time. And I, every time the PGA tour does something, it's met with such heavy criticism. And it's like, well, you show me the best solution that you can implement right now. And if you have a solution, present it and, and we can talk about it, but I don't think there's an easy answer here. I think they're, they're doing their best. You remember they have to serve about 400 members. Um, and they also have to prevent, prevent their stars from moving on. So I think, you know, you have to weigh everything in that, in that vein. That's it for me, Woody. Did we lose hey, Lloyd? It works better when I, been, I did it. I did it again. Kenny, give me the fine. I did it again. Okay, find me. Oh, Thank you. I'm, I'm talking to myself like an idiot. I even texted yeah, Lloyd. I'm fault. like, I'm done. I have no more. And I'm like, that's my on. fault. Hey, let let me what? let me start over. I have been there, Graham. I've been there. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. Last one. Last one. Last one from me here. Uh, Bob Weeks um, had a chance to speak to Mackenzie Hughes and Adam Hadwin. It's up on TSN.ca. I thought it was really good. Uh, they're both pretty forthright. And I thought especially Adam, who you know very well, used to be your, your roomie when you tour around together. Um, not short of an opinion and not, not shy of giving it. I, I really appreciated that from Adam Hadwin. What do you make of what he had to say? Um, because one of the things he said, well, if they're going to do all this, I'm worried about the uh, the Canadian Open, about where that's going to fall. Um, like, who's going to show up and play that? And also, Mackenzie Hughes also made the point, what if it does become an elevated event? Then you're going to be cutting out half of the Canadians who have a chance to play in a PGA Tour event because of it. So they're weighing different things. And Hadwin also mentions, okay, if you're going to throw all this money and no cuts and all this into a few events, why are we doing PIP? Why are we earmarking $50 million? And he calls it to do nothing. He says, why not throw that money back onto the golf courses as well? What did you make of all those comments? Yeah, I thought Hadwin, um, first of all, I listened to Adam speak, and, uh, you know, I don't watch a ton of Adam Hadwin interviews, but he has changed so much in, you know, the 10 years since I've traveled with him and stuff. Like, what a well-spoken guy. I thought he was really great in that interview. Um, I, I did appreciate what he was saying. There's there's a lot of concerns out there, and, and Adam's in a spot where, you know, he's, he's held his tour card for nine or ten years now, and he, he's won an event. You'd call him, what, a, a mid-tier player? Like, he's not a top 30 player in the world, but he is consistently keeping his card. He's rarely out of the top 100, and, and he's a guy that technically the tour should be, I don't want to say protecting, but looking out for, and his concerns are real, and he wasn't a fan of dropping the cut, nor am I. Um, his concerns about the Canadian Open are definitely well-founded. You know, Canadian Open has been such a roller coaster. It used to be such a prestigious event back in the 70s and 80s. Like you said, it was referred to as the fifth major a lot of the times. It went through a really dark period in the early 2000s with no sponsor or, or a, you know, rough sponsorships and bad fields and a bad date. And, and with RBC now sponsoring it and then being really involved on the PGA Tour, having another event as well in South Carolina. Uh, the PGA Tour does give it a lot of, I don't want to say, they, they, they try to give it the best date possible. Um, they've they've had good fields the last couple of years, like Adam said, not necessarily terribly deep, but they have had some star power the last few years, and that's great. And it definitely helps when big-time players 
win your event. And coming down on Sunday, like a Justin Thomas last year, or sorry, Roy McIlroy last year, and I believe he defended, right? He yep. won at Hamilton the year before. So what a what a great couple of years for, for the Canadian Open. Um, it, it's going to be tough because if you're not an elevated event, you could get stuck, like he said, um, off the back of the U.S. Open where everyone's exhausted and doesn't, doesn't want to go play, or it could be before a couple of designated events, and then that leads into the U.S. Open. So, again, guys don't want to play four in a row and their fourth week be the U.S. Open. So it's uh, it's a tough spot. It's All of this, like McKenzie said in the interview, we just have to wait and see what happens. Like, yeah. you know, year one could be eh, not the greatest, but I think the tour will adapt. They will respond to a lot of concerns from the players and the sponsors. Like, sponsors of events all of a sudden you're being asked to pay, you know, you pay X one year and then you say, oh, by the way, it's 3X next year. Well, what guarantees am I getting? Well, you're getting yeah. four days of Rory McIlroy, four days of John Rump. That's That's got to be a big deal to them. And it's got to sure. be a kind of a sticking point. So it, it's tough, right? Like it's no one's going to be, or not everyone is going to be happy at the same time. There's a lot of give and take here. And I think, um, and it's something we've never seen before. No other tour has ever poached players from the PGA Tour and top players like they did two years ago with Liv. So, you know, they're responding to this, and sometimes it's not the best look, but at the same time, like I said at the beginning, it's adapt or die. You have to figure out how to not lose any more of your needle movers. And and what what helps the Canadian Open, I think, is RBC is a pretty heavy hitter. Uh, on the PGA Tour. They spend a ton of money, sponsor a couple of different tournaments, the Heritage as well. Um, so they'll have a lot of say um, uh, with the power brokers, Jay Monahan and company with the PGA Tour when it comes to the Canadian Open. Last quick question for you from a listener, all right? It's very specific, so hopefully you have an answer. Hi, guys. Well, you have Brad on the line. Can you ask him what he thought of Scheffler being allowed to redrop during the Waste Management Open on hole 16? To me, it looked awful fishy. Uh, I don't recall what happened. If you remember, tell me. I I do remember the drop. He, he got a little bit of relief uh, because he was offline or when he had, he had got near the grandstand uh, area. But other than that, I'm sorry. Uh, that's all I got as well. So um, maybe okay, that's well, your homework. You have to go look at that, and you have to answer that question next time we have you on. <laughs> well, t- typically what happens when you redrop is the first drop, uh, it, it it moved closer to the hole from the relief area. So if if it, the ball ended up closer to the hole than where your original ball was, then that would be grounds for a redrop. I, and it could have gone outside the one or two club lanes or whatever it was. So that's the that's the um, that's what I'm assuming what happened. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there, and, and we'll save uh, more sense Kane's talk for our next visit. That's it. Sounds Get good. Out of here. Always up. That's for- it. Always up for hockey. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Brad. Always appreciate it. Okay. Take care, guys. There's uh, Brad Fritch joining us on the Gabriel Pizza Hotline, the official pizza of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Sands will be on the practice ice in Seattle later today, 2 Eastern uh, our time. And um, I think the biggest question mark is going to be the status of Cam Talbot. How's he doing? Is he going to be on the ice? If not, how close is he? After uh, Kevin Mandelazy was uh, activated and scrambled to Chicago and arrived mid-first period uh, the other night to back up Matt Sogard. We are back in a moment on In the Box on TSN 1200.
This podcast is brought to you by Bodog.net. Don't miss a chance to play at Bodog.net. When the odds are stacked against you, post-game tastes that much sweeter. Bodog.net, your source of free casino games, poker strategies, and live sports odds. All right, welcome back to it. Thanks to Brad Fritz joining us. Kind of the start of, uh, all right, here we go, right? Weather's going to turn soon. Got a big tournament tomorrow. But really, let's let's be honest, around these parts, I love Masters Week. Love Masters Weekend. Usually that's when the weather's really starting to get better for us here. You know, you get got a nice sound bar, maybe a little surround sound creature. Crank that up, listen to the birds. I know, CBS, they got to be pumping in that in, right? That can't all be natural. I don't care. I don't care if they're faking it. A if million percent. If they're lip syncing it a bit, I'm fine with that. It, it, it brings me joy. I don't know, Lloydie. Trevor Clifton's phone line yesterday and the birds chirping in the background <laughs> in Tennessee. Yeah. It could be legit. You could actually could hear the birds there chirping away. But yeah, it's it's all too it's it's too perfect, and I'm okay with it. Yep. Jim Nance whispering to me. <laughs> Just whisper away, Jim. Well, I totally but, agree with you. I, I just feel like I'm a little bummed because I don't think, I don't think the golf season here is going to open as as early as we were hoping it would, and it has in the last couple of years. Really? Uh, yeah. No, I just well look at outside and the well, it's going to be long. Uh, I don't know. I'm not optimistic that it'll be what early uh, early April. Maybe maybe okay. a little bit past. All right. Well, maybe we got to get Scooby on for a hit and get. Uh... You know, what's, what's our long range here? Like, what are we talking about? It's 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 a fairly mild day today, right? It's not too bad out there. I'm hoping. I don't mean to be negative. I just, I don't know, just talking to people lately, that's my that's my feel for it. It's, uh, what do I got? I, it's showing me I got minus three right now. Okay, and it's, uh, high could be, what? It's going to be around zero, and it's going to be, Hovering around just above zero for, I'm looking at my long range here, for the next week or so, right? Okay. Maybe that improves a bit because then we're getting into mid-March. Like I've had, I, I can remember in years past being on a St. Patrick's Day patio and it's like pushing 20. Wouldn't that be nice again? So if we get if, if we get like a week of like that kind of weather, yeah, you never know. I wouldn't hold yeah. out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up quite yet. We'll see. I haven't right, given up. I'm just Brad. saying I'm not as optimistic as I was. All right. I was ready um, to go here. He <laughs> was ready to rock and roll. Let's go. Um, all right. We're going to get uh, our updates later this afternoon on the status of Cam Talbot and what have you. Uh, I, we keep asking this question, right? And the answer keeps coming back the same, so I'll kind of ask it again. Let's say Talbot is not ready to play on this trip. Are you, are you, they're definitely still splitting the back-to-back. You would go with the one kid one night, one one the next night, right? There's no way you would ride Sogard? Yeah, I would think so. Um, especially just given their reasoning um, the, the last two times that that happened um, and their data. I think you, I think you have to. And, and, and obviously it's a small sample size, but it was a good result. So that's what I would do. I don't know how you could two weeks ago say, hey, we're not doing this because of we, we've done the research and 
the injury history and, and all that, and then a couple weeks later, yeah, I disregard. Uh, we're going to go back to back Sogi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 obviously, things change a little bit. You're in a playoff push now. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I would think that they would split if Talbot's not good to go. All right. I want to get a couple of thoughts here. Some events from the games last night. Did you see Tony D'Angelo's spear to the nether regions of Corey Perry? Did you see that highlight? Yes. And he did. Okay. So Tony has a hearing today with DOPS, the Department of Player Safety, for spearing. So he's going to receive uh, a, a suspension for that. On on the um, grade that one for me. On on the vicious to, you know what? That's not that bad, Charlie. How did you feel about that? Like if people haven't seen it, there's a scrum, and D'Angelo circles outside the scrum, sees Perry. And kind of like it's a fire poker spear into Perry, and he gets him. He gets him good. <laughs> yeah, I'm right in the right spot. I'm going like nine point two out of ten. Like it wasn't like a pitchfork upward motion. No, right but he, bes- he skated in the pile yeah. with intent, and yeah. and spears him in his spot where he, like he picked that spot. That no, that's a hundred percent intentional. And and nine point two out of ten, a nine point two out of ten. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's at least an eight, for sure. And the uh, if we want to chart it like that, as as I have said, we are. So if you haven't seen it, it's one of those ones where you, it's on the winceometer. The first time I saw it, I winced. I guess I so if know. you're wincing, then I'm like, that's pretty bad, <laughs> right? Let's put it that way. Yeah. Couple of other, I'm kind of hitting you cold with this. I apologize, but there's two other. So I'm watching a lot of hockey last night. I'm I'm watching the Islanders Sabers game, and what turned out to be the game-winning goal by Hudson Fashing. Puck is directed towards the goal. He's a right-hand shot. He's off to just off to the right of Luka Pekalukinen, who, by the way, the play-by-play guy. Always said his full name the whole game. I loved it. You can't. You, you have you, to do that. You can't just say Lukanen, right, Kenny? You've called many of his games. Every time he makes a save, you have to say Ukapeka Lukanen. It's more you, fun. You, you, it is more fun. You can also go UPL. It's not as much fun, but it, it does save some time. It does save some time. Okay, especially with the scramble and there's a quick rebound save. That that's you, you got. That's a lot of words to get out in a hurry. As, as, as he continues to make some saves. Anyways, not the point of my story. Uh, point is, Fashing, it hit him kind of just below the knee shin pad area, and he saw the puck coming, and he did angle his leg to make sure it hit his leg, and he did motion ever so slightly, and it went in. So Toronto called. The, the, the Sabres didn't have to use the coach's challenge. They immediately, they called it a goal. Oh, no, no, actually, they called it no goal right away. And then they reviewed it from Toronto, and they said it was a goal. So I don't know if you had a chance to to watch it like I did, but I'm only bringing it up because it's a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) The rule? It's a pet. It's it's come up again, and it's going to come up again, and it's going to come up again. I hate this rule because it's simple for me. Are we kicking pucks in or not? This gray area BS that leads to these ridiculous reviews 
and this conversation that's ridiculous, and I brought it up, so it's on me. And I know the the argument always is, well, it's a safety issue. We don't want guys picking their feet up and kicking pucks. I'm like, well, you, you allow it to happen everywhere else on the ice. Guy loses his stick, and it's like, oh, what a great play to kick the puck out of the zone. Oh, he must have played soccer. Somebody makes a little crack. It's it's awesome. Well, I've been doing Oh, no, it looks like we lost Lloyd Kenny. Uh, but I will say, watching that highlight, it's definitely a knee. I don't know if it's a kick. He's, he's doing some juggling skills there, for sure, like you would practice in pregame warm-up. I don't know. There, there, There's so many, like, how many times we see this replay where you're thinking it's getting called back or, or it's going to be a for-sure goal and it, it's the opposite? I guess I don't have a massive problem with this. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's his shin and not his foot. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, Graham. That, to me, was a, a redirect. Yeah, and like, yes, yeah. He, he lifts up his leg to redirect it, but there's no distinct kicking motion. Yeah, he doesn't and kick. No, and and I I don't get as worked up at about, about it as Lloydie. I get worked up about a lot of things. That isn't <laughs> one of them. I... I, I would like some clear rules, and I, I wasn't watching these games last night, but saw in the highlights this morning the the offside controversy once again, uh, rearing its ugly head and possession of the puck coming into the zone and Spurgeon not having it as he crossed it past I, cross ice. That one to me is a little less gray because this takes the kicking motion and the redirecting, the way it's worded and the way it's viewed can be completely different from person to person. So when you take uh, that aspect of it, it it you do kind of need to add in a, a little bit more, uh, have a less well black and white, no more gray area, and and we do have Lloydy back. He's had some issues today. Yes, Red oh, did you wait, lose wait, me? My quiet, quiet, oh. quiet, idiot! <laughs> <laughs> oh. What an idiot! Yeah, we'll have that on That's, standby for you, Lloydy. Uh, Red pill or blue pill? Uh, well, Lloydie. that uh, okay. That one wasn't my fault. The last one was. I just didn't have my. Uh, so I have no idea. I went on in a nice little rant there, and I was very proud of myself. And then I uh, stopped my rant, and then you guys didn't say anything. And I looked down. I'm like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I was I. If, if you sh- you should have heard the end of it. I swore. I threw something. Really? Oh, it, was, it was epic. It was, oh yeah, for sure. Let's let's go with that. But again, real quick, Kenny. I heard what you. I think you you and I are on the same page by the sound of it. Transformer are we, man. Are we kicking pucks in or not? Are we kicking them in or not? Yeah, I, Kenny, Kenny and I both don't have a problem with this one. Um, we we both feel that it's a it's a redirect. Um, that there was no kicking motion. He lifts up his leg to get towards the puck to redirect it in. I don't know. I hate I hate having these discussions on these because it's so hard to know one way or another because they're always like. Sometimes you have a strong feeling, okay, this is for sure coming back, or this is for sure a goal, and it's the total opposite. This one I, I don't have a massive problem with. If it was the Sabres that scored this way, maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Like, if it, if it was involving the Senators and coming down to a playoff spot, maybe I'd, I'd feel more passionately about this, but just watching this over and over and over on a loop, I, 
I don't have a massive issue with it. In, in terms of the kicking, I don't know what your rant said because you were in the Matrix, but um, I, I, I don't know what to do because with you, in, in terms of allowing kicking all over the ice, yes, but then you actually have a goaltender who could be on the ground reaching for a puck, and if, if guys are like full-out soccer kicking the puck in the crease, then, yeah, that could get a little dangerous. Um, so is there Guys a... are doing that anyway, though, when they can't get their six free. Right? In the crease, I, I can't. Yeah, like, like, like my my point is, if you can't, let's say your stick's tied up, your stick's in your hand, but you can't get it. You're being held by the defenseman, whatever. Time, I've seen this a, a million times over the years. If the puck is there, the natural reaction, you're trying to move the puck with your foot. You, it's not going through your mind. Oh, I better be maybe, safe. Maybe here. defending players. I, I, I no, 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 attacking players as well. Not they're, as much. Absolute, no, oh, absolutely, yeah. they are. I, I think yes. we'd see way more if you could simply kick it anywhere. I don't think yes. it matters. No, but there was a play for the Ottawa 67s, and I know most people wouldn't have seen this on what uh, Wednesday night against the Kingston Frontenacs. Pavel Mitchikov pinching down, gets a shot away. The rebound comes to him, and he makes a, a distinct kicking motion back at the puck and sent it on net. And the goaltender, Ivan Zhigalov, made this windmill save that he didn't need to make as it was trickling in on him on a kicking motion. But I talked to Minchikov after that, and he's like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, but I put it back on net. It's just a natural instinct for these guys to put the puck back towards the net no matter how they get it there. Maybe it counts because, as we discussed, it is a gray portion of the game where you don't know what a kicking motion is. There are some distinct ones that do get overturned, but there are some fairly distinct ones that don't get overturned as well. Might as well take your chance at it. All right, I got another one for you guys. Did you see the disallowed goal um, in the Minnesota-Calgary game? Did you see yeah. that? Is that the offside? Yeah. 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 So we've seen this before here. So Jared Spurgeon accepts the puck. He's just outside the blue line, but he accepts it, and it's it's overtime three on three. And I think he's got – he accepts the puck, and he's in full control of the puck. That's my opinion. And, hey, listen, I, I as a kid, I grew up a Flames fan. I, I I like that goal. I think that goal should have counted because he accepted the puck outside the blue and he's skating backwards, so he goes in ahead of time. And we all the rule in hockey's always been if you're in complete control of the puck, you can't put yourself offside. But it was deemed that he did not have complete control of the puck. And then he makes a really good play and he passes it across. You think it's a game winning goal? No. Nope. But didn't happen. How does he have control of the puck when he makes a pass? Well, As he, it he enters into the zone. No, because he accepted the puck before. But the puck never it. crossed the line. No, he handled it, and then he passed the puck. The puck but to me. But he didn't go across the blue line when he handled it. In, what do you in, mean? In theory, you're accurate, Lloydie. But the puck, in theory, as, as he brings the puck in, the puck never crosses the line before he fires it cross ice again. Therefore, it, he never enters into the zone with possession. If he brought the puck in no. and held it for another couple of moments okay. now, and sent on. it cross ice, then yes, you're accurate. You can't put yourself offside in that situation. So how, he he because ha- he doesn't have control of the puck because he entered he into the zone. No, he doesn't. He, he, he did have control of the puck. He did. But he didn't bring it over the blue line. Now, I disagree with you guys. I I think I think he had full control and possession of that puck. He had full control and possession, but he passes it, and that yes. gives up the possession as he crosses into the line, and then that's where uh, the puck enters into the zone. I don't like it. I still don't like that one. I'm in, I'm in the minority. You, you guys got me at number two to one. I'll, I'll I'll eat that one. But I, to me, that's it. Comes back. It's the same kind of realm as why are we finding ways to take good plays off the board and goals off the board in hockey? 
to me, these these little gray area rules, he's got full control of the puck. Anyways, what what, what was the playoff one that happened? Was it last that year or the year before? Yeah. That was different. That was a tag up, right? When yes. does he have his stick off the puck? What is possession? What's not? Yeah. Like, it's that that's a little bit different here. Like but that, to but, me, that's possession. Yeah, that that... That was I this one, Lloyd, as you dump a puck in cross ice, you can't enter into the zone before sending the puck in. I, I just that that's the portion that I don't get your argument for. I understand that he, he puts himself into the offside position and if he continued to bring the puck in with him, yes, then that's fine. And then he passes the puck, that would be okay. Agreed. But before the he brings himself in and before the puck completely crosses the line he releases possession of it by sending it cross ice. Therefore, he puts himself into an offside position. So he's standing in the blue line. In no, the I, I, no, listen, I, I, I 100% agree with what you guys are saying. I do. I just don't. I just wish the NHL would be more about it, encouraging goals to happen because they have all these. I'm with you on that. Splitting the hair, gray area rules. But by the letter of the law, correct. Yes. You know, with that, and they just the NHL continues to find ways to have their fans, and I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of the league, I'm a fan of hockey, have these discussions. <laughs> to me, it seems it just seems to come up, and the biggest fear, and we saw it in the playoffs with that McCar one as well, happens at the time of year where you're thinking, oh boy, I. I hope I hope we don't have things decided like this at that time of year. Anyways, okay, there you go. There's two. It'll come up again, guys. Don't worry. It'll yeah, happen we can, again. We can get into it again. No, there was three. We touched. We touched on the spirit of the nuts too. Right. Well, that's a little different. I think yeah. we all agree that D'Angelo's yes, he's going away for a while. <laughs> <laughs> he's going away for a while. Okay. Um, Big Rick says, "Fight, fight, fight." It's not a fight, Big Rick. We can make it into one, though. We're having a discourse. <laughs> But this text, good thing Lloydie's cap guy and not review guy. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's true. Yeah, Josh, he basically made himself offside. I, listen, I get it. I'm not disagreeing with these two guys. They're smart guys. I just don't like the rule in general. Yeah, and, and we agree on that, I think. I think all three of yeah. us agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Refs get one look at full speed, then confirm or deny. It isn't a game of slow-mo review. It's hockey. At uh, real life speed with human eyes, fix obvious errors, leave the slow mo multi angle minutes long reviews for virtual games. And I agree with that, but I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think the genie's out of the bottle. Right? I, yeah, I, I like that in theory. Yeah. But oftentimes, as you wait in a review, and I get frustrated by the length of review as a solo broadcaster, <laughs> I have to fill a lot of time. <laughs> so I like the quick reviews, but as the reviews get going, you can get other angles and other angles in various situations provide very different pictures. I would love to see a time limit put on it, but even then the, there's, there's a massive chain of events that has to take place in order to get everything. The technology has to work. The people in the positions to send the replays down to the referees, they have to be competent at their job. If it's back at the, uh, everything goes back to Toronto, then okay, then you can should be able to make a decision a lot faster. But uh, you, I don't think you can just take one look at one replay and say it's fine. 
I think it has to be more than that, as frustrating as it can be. You've got to do the best you can to, to sort through these things as quickly as you can, and I think some rule tweaks along the way could help that. But to that last text that came in, um, and we have this, I think a lot of us would agree, wouldn't it be nice if we, we could have it the way more it used to be and let's live with the odd mistake? But you can't. It's There's there's too much money involved. There's there, you know, it, The viewing experience is too good. Like if you just decided, hey, we're not going to be reviewing this stuff anymore, then it would just turn into, you remember years ago the PGA Tour, we were talking to golf earlier this hour, had a problem with that where people would be watching the broadcast with their PBRs at home, and then they'd, after the round, they'd be sending in screen grabs and files to emailing marketing at the PGA Tour, PR, whatever, right? Saying, so-and-so uh, on the 16th hole, um, John Daly uh, improved his lie. Uh, the ball moved. Here's proof. Like, And then the PGA Tour had to go back and disqualify players. Like, that was going on, that stuff. So if you if you kind of if you want to get in the time machine and get go back before we started having more video review and we'll stick to hockey for this example, then you're going to be opening yourself up. People will just find it themselves and embarrass you on Twitter with with screen grabs and videos and see this was offside. That game, you know, I I had money on that game. I lost a hundred bucks because you guys got the call wrong. Like you can't. Pandora's box has been opened on this. We can't we can't go back in time, uh, unfortunately. All right. Uh, really quick, Eric Carlson losing it. Yeah, did you see that one? Yep. EK took a stick in the mouth, Love threw it. his bucket on the ice, got 10 minutes. <laughs> the only thing that was missing with his postgame as well was classic Jeremy Roenick, wake up, NHL. Wake up. Remember that? His fat lip, he's bleeding all over the place. All right, we'll take a break. Mid-show break, still to come. Gord Wilson's going to join us. From uh, just ahead of Sen's practice, which will start at 2 Eastern, Gord will join us at 1, all still to come from Seattle on TSN 1200.